Season 5 of Angel is brought to you by Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever and right now Odoo is offering $1,000 off your first implementation pack at odoo.com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist. Our crowd helps you invest early in pre-IPO companies alongside professional VCs. If you're interested in investing, you can join our crowd for free at OURCROWD.com slash twist. And LinkedIn Jobs. A business is only as strong as its people, and every hire matters. Post your first job for free at linkedin.com slash angel. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode nine, season five, Super Angels, the series we do as part of This Week in Startups. You all tell me you want to meet more investors. You want to meet people who do early stage. And so we created the podcast Angel, uh, and we've done now five seasons. This fifth season, we thought we would focus on what we call super angels. What's a super angel? It's a term we made up. It basically means somebody who's invested in a lot of companies is at the top of their game uh, and who you can learn a lot from. And what a season it's been. I mean, to just go down the list, episode 10 coming up, Joanne Wilson, the Gotham Gal uh, Ventures is coming on. Good friend of mine. We worked together in the 90s. We had Reed Hoffman, Matt Mullowa, Gary Tan, Mark Cuban, Howard Lindzen, Elad Gill, Des Trainer, David Tish. I mean, it, this is a lineup of just killers, and today will be no different. My friend, Paul Judge of Panoramic Ventures is on episode nine. How you doing, Paul? Hey, man, I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I miss you. I haven't seen you in person in over a year. It has been a long time, but it's, it's, it's good to see you digitally, and you're, you're, you're growing yes. and becoming more high resolution by the day here. I love it. Uh, yeah, we're, we're getting... We, this is the thing. I would never do remote interviews. I thought I had to do every interview in person because number one, I felt I needed to be in the same room with somebody to kind of really get the conversation going, which maybe is true, maybe it's not. But also everybody didn't know how to set up their home studio. They would be on Wi Fi, they'd be on bad Wi Fi, they'd have an old computer, they wouldn't have a good camera, they have a terrible microphone. And now in the year of the pandemic, everybody's got a podcast studio at home. And things are golden. Now, uh, is it okay if I say where you're based right now? Uh, yeah. Is it okay to disclose? Yeah, sure. All right. So you're part of the Miami crew now. You uh, were representing Atlanta. And now you're spending time in Miami. Yep. So I'm still, I'm based in Atlanta mostly, but I am okay. in my, uh, in Atlanta mostly, but I'm in Miami at, at the moment. And I've been, right. you know, coming back and forth. And, you know, I used to come back and forth to the Bay Area. Uh, but coming here is like it's an hour, hour and a half flight versus kind of four hours. I used to commute to the Bay Area all the time. And now there's just a ton of people there doing internet stuff. Oh, it's, it's amazing. Crazy. It's amazing. Every yeah. week there's there's someone else that I kind of bounce into that I know that is here right now or thinking about moving or have moved. And uh, we've done a couple investments in the city uh, so far this year. Uh, and so, yeah, and I love the energy. The energy is there. Um, the Bay Area no longer has a stranglehold on funding or being the place to to form your company. And since we're all living on Zoom, 
I don't know about you, but I've made a ton of investments over the, the last year, and I haven't even met the founders yet. Have you invested in companies over Zoom and not met the founders? Yes, I have not met a f- new founder in person. Who? Um, I don't know in a, in a year, right? And I've, I don't know. Same 20, for me. Same. Tw- 20, 25, 30 investments in the last year, and I've met two in person after I invested. Um, we ha- happened. Those are the two that happened to be in Miami. I met them after we invested. But yeah, 25 decisions that are all, they're here. They're Zoom, they're, they're video. And what can we take away from that in terms of what we thought we needed to do in terms of making investing um, an investment versus what the pandemic forced us to do? And then the second part of that would be, what do you think is going to happen you know, now after we all get our shots and, you know, we're, we're YOLO in, in Q3. <laughs> or at least I am. I can't speak for you, but you, I'm going, going crazy this summer, man. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to be anywhere but home. <laughs> it's, it's I'm going to be racking up the miles. <laughs> right? It's almost there. It's almost people are getting more vaccines. So, it's, it's, it's about Ooh, that time. Taste it. Yeah, the fall is going to be good. There's just All-Star Weekend. In Atlanta, yes. did you uh, go this weekend? No, I, I didn't. Uh, I think it was there's a lot of people in the city, yes. kind of right now, a little bit too early. Too soon, so I, I didn't. Uh, Tempting, I, too right? Soon I didn't. I watched it on TV. But um, my man think, Obi Toppin from the Knicks got robbed uh, that slam dunk contest. Obi should have won. Oh yeah, slam uh, did you dunk watch was, the slam dunk contest? Yeah, I watched the slam dunk and the three point. That guy watched, didn't kiss the ring. He didn't kiss the rim. He got up there. He was like three feet from the rim and he just blew a kiss to the, I can blow a kiss to the rim. Obi Toppin's like jumping over his dad and Julius Randle doing this like crazy windmill. Yeah, yeah. Come on. No, it was, it was fun. It was fun. And uh, was fun, Curry, Curry in the three point pulling it off by like one Ridiculous. point at the end. I mean, he's a video game. Like automatic. I mean, he was video uh, game. You know, be able to win with just that last final point. And like you see the human side of it that he barely made it. Uh, I, I love oh, it. So great. He's the greatest shooter ever, right? I mean, yeah. Ray Allen can't come close. I mean, I'm trying to figure out if there's anybody who's even close. I don't, maybe Clay Thompson is the only person who's really close. Dane? Yeah, yeah. And just the the, the way he, he he does it uh, so automatically and effortlessly. Like yeah. the other guy who was close behind him by one point, you could tell he was trying to the the full extent Struggling. of his yeah capability. Yeah. And, and Steph right. with a, a bad kind of round still still pulled yeah. it off. On uh, a bad he, run, he's still better than the best run that right? everybody else had. That was the crazy yeah. part. So, yeah, that was it. I watched All-Star uh, virtually. Uh, but then you were asking mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, Zoom and meeting people virtually and what happens when the world opens up. And, you know, I think it's, I mean, it's, it's changed what it means to have a meeting, right? It used to be 30 hours of commute, an hour meeting, 30 more minutes of commute. Uh, and now that all goes down to 30 minute meeting. So there's just so many more in a day. I get to see more companies than I would have seen otherwise. 100%. Yes. That's the big change. Yeah. Like your top of funnels wider. And then from the entrepreneur standpoint, it's a bit easier, I think, to get a meeting with an investor than it was traditionally. And so that means a whole new generation of entrepreneurs that wouldn't have had access uh, now have more access to, to venture capital and to angel investors. It definitely uh, lowers a VC's or an investor's benchmark or bar to to take a meeting because it's 30 minutes and you're not coming to my office and, you know, there's always this fear, like maybe this person's just really strange or who knows, (laughs) but like if you're doing a 30, I mean, I I feel like people want to get off the Zoom in 20 minutes. Like when you start getting to that 20 to 30 minute 
zone, people are like, all right, <laughs> I got to be on another one of these in an hour, man. I got to get <laughs> off this and go take care of my kids or my dog or something or have a sandwich. It really is. You know, the other thing somebody brought up um, that I thought was so on point that I hadn't realized was it feels like we flipped getting to know the person and then diligencing the company and the opportunity. We used to get to know the person and then try to figure out the opportunity and move into due diligence. So it was like mm. socialization and this performative, you know, here's my deck and I'm answering the questions. Now we get all the information up front, we, you know, we get all the diligence. And then like you said, you know, after you invest, you're like, yeah, I'd love to meet. Right. <laughs> Maybe we go for a walk and talk. Yep. So remove some of the bias that exists, right? Like if someone has built yeah. a real company and has good customer traction and so forth, those numbers can speak for themselves versus do I know to go to the right coffee shop? Do I know to order the right cappuccino? Like some of those social <laughs> norms that if you're not, not based in the Bay Area, you have a different background, you might have felt that first part of the filter, but now you yep. get a chance to go straight into talking about what you're building. Uh, yeah, it's good. I think it's a good thing. I for also the find people are very, very much upfront, you know, in the email exchange and then going into the meeting. So I have founders who are like, this is the amount we're raising. This is how much we have left in the round. Here's the diligence documents. Here's the diligence folder. Here's the, the, the note. Would you like to get on a call? And normally they were trying to get the meeting in person, you know, kind of build that social credibility, build the relationship, and then, you know, slowly trickle out that information. The founders are just like, here's everything. Are you in or out? Let's, you know, cut to the chase here. And so the efficiency is real. I, I think it was probably more like two hours, three hours to do a meeting. You could probably do reasonably two, maybe three meetings in a day, right? Right. Now I plow through two or three meetings in a morning. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, this is so much better. Yep. And uh, this, it's not going to go away, right? Is that your prediction? No, not, not at all. You keep doing it this it's, way, right? Especially, yeah. yeah, for, I mean, top of funnel deal flow, like you just, you can see more things. Like you buy three or four times higher uh, of viewing and meeting and understanding. What I found is, you know, some number of entrepreneurs have built a good business, but they don't know how to make the deck the right way. They don't know mm -hmm. the right ratios. They don't know the right lingo, but like they have like a really good business. And yes. typically, like, you wouldn't take those meetings. You would see the deck and like, ah, I don't know. And you just miss yeah. it. But now you're like, all right, mm. let me give it 30 minutes and see. And then you meet them and you see the passion and you meet the founder and you hear about it. And so right. uh, I think it's, it's helped with better deal flow, uh, but it's also helped kind of a, a set of entrepreneurs that wouldn't have gotten a chance. And so I don't think you, I don't think you go back to viewing a third of the number of deals. So you even feel like Paul Judge has less bias in prejudging a startup, right? Absolutely. We all had some bias coming into it, like the ugly deck, maybe the awkwardness. They don't know the terms to use. They don't got the right connects to get to you. Now it's just like, eh, I'll take the meeting 20 minutes. And now I have three people doing meetings for me now, introductory okay. meetings okay. all week. So they're seeing 20 people, 15 to 20 people each a week. So I have 50 at the top of the funnel and then I get the top, whatever, five or 10 of that. So it's like really starting to scale. And it feels just like a lot's, you know, flowing through the system, like you're saying, much faster. How much money does your startup spend on all these different software products? And how much time does it take you to integrate them all together? Let me guess. Too much time, too much money. Well, Odoo is here to help. That's spelled O-D-O-O. -O. 
It's a suite of business apps that run your entire company on one platform, I kid you not. And if you're currently using a Frankenstack of individual software solutions that don't talk to each other while you're wasting your time, energy, and that precious money you raised for your startup, Odoo streamlines your workflow and brings all that information together, your workday will be more productive because Odoo's integrations eliminate all of that repetitive tasks and data entry that you have to do when you're when you're doing a Frankensite, right? Plus, if you only need two or three apps to optimize your workflow, that's all you pay for. Odoo won't stick you with the bill for the apps you don't use. You pay for what you use. Odoo has an app for every business need. They offer 30 main apps that are updated regularly and another 16,000 from their active community. For instance, Odoo offers a suite of financial software that'll help you keep your books tight with accounting, payment tracking, invoicing, and more. Your first app is free forever. And right now, Odoo is offering a $1,000 credit on your first implementation pack. Go to odoo.com slash twist, odoo.com slash twist to check it out, odoo.com slash twist. Take the $1,000, put it in your account, and then use it when you're ready. But get it now because I don't know how long the offer is going to last. Catch me up on what you're doing because I know you used to do, you used to use your own money. And then I heard something about maybe being involved with SoftBank and this $100 million opportunity fund. What exactly are you focused on? And for people who don't know how you invest, how much you invest and what verticals, take us through what you're looking for and, and what pools of capital you come out of. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. You know, my... my Background, Jason, has been, you know, for first 15, 20 years, I was a entrepreneur building some cybersecurity companies. And so, like, that's what my, my grad school work is in. Uh, we built a company called Cypher Trust and we built PureWire and then, uh, Pendrop. And it wasn't until Pendrop, uh, that I actually, like, opened my eyes to, wait a second, like, there's a world where I'm not the entrepreneur. I'm helping another entrepreneur. And when I, I met VJ and we co-founded that company, after it was going along well and we were probably at the Series B, I said, wait, there's more VJs. There's more smart people mm. that need help. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I met VJ through Georgia Tech. And so what I did then was said, I just want to get as close as I can to Georgia Tech's campus and meet students and professors coming out of there. And so uh, I first started this place called Tech Square Labs. And my whole yeah. idea was, you know, how do we have smart people walk in the door and kind of co-work and I'll find ones to invest in. And we started doing this thing called Startup Battle where people would compete and $100,000 investment prize. And I did that for three or four years. And through that, through TechSquare, you know, invested in, in 30, 40 companies, many that are Atlanta or university-based companies through Startup Battle invested, you know, very early stage, kind of two people on a laptop. I mean, what we would call nowadays, you know, probably pre-seed or pre-pre-seed. Uh, but there's been some good companies we have the fortune of being part of uh, through that. Uh, and then fast forward, I've been looking at over the last two years, like, okay, how to do that at more scale, right? How to be able to participate not only as seed, but across series A and series B, but doubling down on that thesis of like Atlanta and the Southeast and things out of universities and things that are diverse. Uh, and so I started building this plan to do panoramic. Uh, along the way, last year, uh, a good friend, Marcelo Clark, who, uh, you know, leads SoftBank, he called and said, Hey, Paul, we're, we're going to start a fund, uh, dedicated to minorities. It's going to be a $100 million fund called Opportunity Fund. And uh, would you help with it? And so I, I joined the investment committee uh, of uh, the Opportunity Fund. And there's an amazing team there. And it's a $100 million fund focused on uh, Blacks and Latinos and Native Americans. Uh, and then just two weeks ago, Jason, we announced Panoramic. 
And I partnered with a gentleman named Mark Buffington. He ran a firm called BIP Capital that's been in Atlanta for the last, you know, eight years or so. Uh, they're on fund four and been one of the most active firms in the, in the region. And we partnered and we rebranded, uh, and called the firm Panoramic with the whole point that, you know, we look where other people don't. We've taken a wider view. And so that is kind of where uh, I'm investing. So I'm a managing partner at, at Panoramic. Uh, and then I'm on the investment committee at Opportunity Fund. And with the Opportunity Fund, that means they're out there finding the founders, vetting everything. And when you're on that investment committee, they say, hey, here's the ideas we want to invest in. And you just make sure, hey, listen, this is uh, this is an appropriate investment or you just give feedback and um, tell me about that process. Yeah. So the, the investment committee is, is Marcelo Clara, who it was, this was his, his brainchild of, of you know how to kind of make impact in the world. Uh, and, uh, another lady, uh, named Stacy Brown Philpot, who was CEO of TaskRabbit previously. Uh, yeah. and I knew both Marcelo and Stacy, uh, they were, we we're all in the same class, uh, at Aspen Institute through like Henry Crown Fellow program. So we've been friends for years. Uh, and then, uh, the, the fourth person is a gentleman named Shu Nyata, who is at SoftBank and leads their Latin America fund. Uh, so the, the four of us are the investment committee and there's a, a team of, of brilliant people who are, who are running it and, and sourcing deals and analyzing. And um, we look at a lot of companies and met with hundreds of companies and we've done about about 20 investments in the, in the first nine months. Wow. Yeah. All right. Let me ask you the, I, I don't want to say controversial question, but this is the, the question I, I keep hearing when we talk about equality and making sure everybody gets access to capital. A dedicated fund for people who are underrepresented versus just making every fund more fair, just, and having more people of color or underrepresented people in the fund. Are these either or, or is it an end? What's your take on that? I think both should be pursued. One is a more, has more direct, immediate impact. Um, right. And so it's, it's one thing to go take, you know, these funds and firms that have been around for 50 years. And go change all the processes because you have to change the LPs, you have to change the, the, the GPs, you have to change the screening pro Like there's years before we get there. Uh, but you have to do that work still. But then you take something like Opportunity Fund and it's, it's dedicated, it's purpose built, it's, uh, the team is diverse, the mission, uh, is, is there. Uh, you know, now you also, you look at the portfolio, you have a group of some of the top minority entrepreneurs that now can come together. Uh, and so, you know, other thing with Opportunity Fund is it's not only the capital, but those entrepreneurs get access to SoftBank's ecosystem and like all the, yeah. the founder support. And so Huge. this is an ecosystem that usually you don't get access to unless you're raising 100, 200, 300 million dollars. And yeah, so I don't now have access to, to that ecosystem. I was going right? to ask you for a connect. <laughs> I got you, man. I got you. Um, I mean, I, I, I know Masa, but I don't know anybody in between. So now I got you. <laughs> so I'll, I'll introduce you to Marcelo and Shu and then the yeah. team. But it's like no, now these minority founders that we've invested in, you know, can be raising a million dollars or two million dollars, but also get plugged into this team that helps them grow and helps them with those connections. And oftentimes, that's what a minority founder needs in addition to the capital. Right. Because they might not come from that same network. They might not have that, that same set of, of people to reach out to. And so I think both are needed, especially when you're dealing with a problem that is, you know, centuries in the making yeah. is not just one solution. So the fact that people are debating like, Oh, this is the wrong solution. This is the right. It's kind of like we need the, um, you know, Scott Weiss from our point, he's called the sledgehammer approach, right? Kind of yeah. you have the egg and you just, you need to try all the solutions. 
And yeah. that's what we have to, I mean, it's such a bad problem. And it's, I mean, it's interesting to making that we have to try everything. And I think this is one approach that I'm watching work in real time. I think that's a really important observation and insight because what I find is people get very critical of everybody trying to improve the situation, right? It's, and it's like, if, if there's different ways to put this fire out or there's different ways to build this bridge, whatever metaphor we want to use to solve the problem and make the world, you know, more just, more equal and, and spread these opportunities around, like all the better, fantastic. And, yep. and there is a very specific problem that you very subtly uh, mentioned there, which I think we need to unpack. Venture firms are very weird. Like they form almost like a poker group or a sorority or a fraternity or a golf group. You know, they're, they're decades in the making and they don't change that often. Like partnerships, you know, you have four or five partners, they're chopping up you know, whatever the fund is and whatever the returns are and whatever the management fees are. And usually it's, they only switch out a partner when somebody retires. So, I mean, the inertia might be every two funds, three funds, they might change somebody. And I don't think the public understands this concept. This is why new funds are so important, right? It, it is. I mean, because they, they have a system that works. Like if a fund's been around that long, like there's a reason it's working. Like they're delivering returns. And so you're delivering returns based on a certain model, based on a certain prototype and a founder type that works for you. I mean, even though you might think it's the right thing to broaden your, your funnel and go look for your, your results are, are working. And so you're hesitant to go make drastic changes where if you have someone with a very new fund and you're building a, an approach from the ground up, you can think about Deal flow a different way. You could think about, uh, you know, how you, you help founders in a different way. And so, uh, because that's what it takes. I mean, think how bad the problem is. I mean, you know, you know, the numbers, right? Like 1% yeah. of venture capital to, to, to blacks. Um, uh, whereas, Crazy. you know, blacks are like what? 13% yeah. of the U.S. population. So we're talking an art of magnitude, uh, deficit, right? Same thing right. With, with, with women founders. I mean, you're not talking like, oh, we need to tweak it five to 10%. Yeah, no, this like, is, we need, we need a 10x solution, not a 10% solution. It, it, exactly. And, uh, the, the thing though is, it's not just like, oh, let's do this because it's like the right thing to do. It's like people are missing out on returns. Like you're, 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 if you're supposed 100%. to be seeking alpha, it's like, why would you just take half of the country and not make sure you're, you're connecting with them and paying attention uh, to them? Especially nowadays when minorities have a competitive advantage. In many of the sectors of technology that are becoming most important, uh, give me some examples of that. Where do you see minority founders having an edge? I mean, I can think of one right off the bat, which is social. I mean, if you look at Instagram, Twitter, and now Clubhouse, all built on Black culture because Black yep. culture. Let's be let's be honest here, um, is American culture. Period. Yep. Black culture is American culture. That's that's our export. I mean, whether it's music, fashion. Everything, you know, comes out of black culture, period. You, you, you nailed it. Uh, you nailed it. I mean, from, from what we wear to how we dance to how we dress to what we listen to, um, you know, it's the cool, right? The, the yeah. cool. And, you know, as, as tech is, is more consumerized, whether it's social networks or, or what's happening in gaming or e-gaming, uh, whether mm. it's kind of it's as much as community is coming into everything like community is coming into fintech community is coming into kind of where you live and kind of how you think about buying houses and and so as much as that's happening uh you know 
minority founders and minority influencers have a competitive advantage. And so if mm-hmm. investors are overlooking that, they're, they're really overlooking the people that are going to drive the next generation of, of, of technology growth. And it's kind of like what happened in, in different sports. Like you, you start to see this influx of minority founders that are understanding what it means to build a scalable product, understanding what it means to go to market efficiently. And as yep. you learn that skill set, it's kind of like when you saw the first minority start to play tennis or start to play golf, yep. right? You just let yeah. us know the rules. Like, let us oh, know the rules. How's this story going to end? Right. <laughs> Serena <laughs> well, and Tiger. <laughs> exactly. Once you get access to how the rules work, uh, it, it gets really interesting. And so, uh, I think anyone who's paying attention and like, uh, intentionally adding diversity to their, their deal flow, they're just, they're getting tomorrow's returns earlier before everybody else starts to pay attention. Do you ever wish that you invested in some of the best performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020? Well, our crowd investors did invest early in many of those awesome IPOs. And with our crowd, accredited investors can invest directly and easily in startups early before they IPO or they get bought. And that's what you're looking to do. Our crowd investors have benefited from companies IPOing like Beyond Meat, Yum Yum, and Lemonade. Some of the companies have been acquired by buyers like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, Oracle, and Uber. Yum Yum, shout out Uber. The investment professionals at our crowd have already invested hundreds of millions of dollars in over 200 companies with dozens of exits. They do a great job over there. They got a great diligence process. And so here is your call to action. Today, you can join our crowd's investment in Shield, an AI-powered platform that helps global financial enterprises meet increasingly complex compliance rules. And according to their deal memo, Shield addresses an $89 billion market with tools that automatically detect and alert on behaviors that lead to market abuse, employee misconduct, and information sharing. You can get in early on Shield and other unique opportunities at rcrowd.com slash twist. I recently wet my beak and placed a small bet on Cyabra, a company that uses AI, again, hey, this is a trend, AI, right? To uncover disinformation, and expose fake news stories on social media. The rcrowd account is free, and you can sign up right now and get that VIP This Week in Startups treatment by going to ourcrowd.com slash twist, ourcrowd.com slash twist, ourcrowd.com slash twist. There are so many things to be hopeful about right now. I think every there's, a, there's obviously a lot of pain and a lot of history of pain and suffering in this country and the mistakes and our original sins. But, you know, I look and I see so many great moments happening. Um, I was just talking with somebody about like, who had the best quarter, Chamath? Or, you know, this venture cap or whatever. And it was like, no, I think Jay-Z had the best quarter. I mean, yeah. he sold Ace, he sold half of Ace of Spades to LVMH mm-hmm. after, I forgot what champagne company said, we don't want your people here. Uh, Crystal. <laughs> said Vuv. Crystal. Was Crystal. Yeah, yeah. Crystal. Like, uh, literally, Jay-Z is including Crystal free marketing in his songs. And they're like, yeah, brown people, black people, not so much for Crystal. Yeah. He's like, okay. A spades, what's up? He sells half of that to LVMH, takes down hundreds. Yep. And then uh, title. He's like, you know what? Yep. I wonder if the artist owned the platform, what that would look like. Right. And he what? He 10X'd, 510X'd? I mean, yep. it's crazy. About 10 times. And then uh, he had a cannabis deal. Like he was part of a cannabis spec. I didn't even see that. I mean, I, yeah. can't, he was part, I can't even keep up. He was also yeah. in Oatly, I think. Yeah, he was in Oatly. So it's, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, music. This is his side hustle, and he's killing us. I just, I I hate to point it out, but like, I think he was like, music was his number one thing, and this is the side hustle, and he's just 
dominating it. I mean, that is the really killer thing. I think when, when you can mix celebrity and influencer mm -hmm. and product, because I feel like celebrities and influencers have an inherent understanding of what consumers want and they connect with them so deeply. So this kid, uh, Dobrik is doing the camera company Dispo. Oh yeah. Like he really understands that generation. And like Jay-Z understands like when people are popping bottles at the club, like here's what that should look like. And here's what, you know, the trend is in Oatly or I mean, he's, mm -hmm. he's, he's getting it from champagne all the way down to like milk alternatives. Right. It's a pretty great moment. It is. What I love is he's going after industries that have like traditionally been unfair uh mm. to to the people that have been creating the value right so like music industry is traditionally unfair to the creators and so with title yeah, yeah. he, he went after that uh you know food and beverage i mean the crystal ceo kind of shot himself in the foot and he went Oof, after that man and then if you look at the cannabis industry i mean it's not exactly tech but it's it's creating tens of billions of dollars of value uh yeah. it's kind of the the most valuable crop that this country's ever seen but if yep. you look at everyone that's going public, there's no diversity. But we all know this country was built on the backs of blacks tending to crops. And it's like, really? wait a second. I mean, I was about to go there and connect that. It's, and yeah. you, got, you beat me to it. And, no, and, absolutely. And think about this. In one state, you know, a black teenager gets put in jail for selling a dime bag or an ounce of weed. In another state or in Canada, some white executive IPO is a company for selling weed. Yeah. I mean, where's the justice here? Like, wh where's the fairness? I mean, it's great no. to see this finally leveling out. I feel like, I don't know how you feel, because we're both, I think, of the same generation. We're both Gen X. Yep. And we, we've been watching this story, you know, for now close to 50 years. I just right. turned 50. And like, I feel like it's like, we got to see it be really bad. Like we got the tail end of just explicit racism and mm -hmm. people really being, going at each other. And then we're watching it and it feels like maybe by the end of our life, this might feel really equitable. I, I'm hopeful. I don't know. How do you feel? I think, I think. I mean, because I'm a white guy, it's easy for me to feel hopeful about it, right? Maybe I'm just painting something that makes me feel better, you know? But how do you feel as a black man? <sighs> you know, there's, there's this, uh, this, this Kanye lyric that says like, people say I'm racist because I only see green faces. And it's. It's, it's that, that part is actually promising though, because, you know, at the end of the day, if like you can feel the economic impact, you kind of look past the color of the skin. Mm -hmm. And as more minorities are participating in, in business, uh, you gain a respect, right? You, you gain access and people realize like, Oh, wait a second. This person's smart in a different way. This person's creative or genius in a different way. And that helps gain that respect. That helps uh, people kind of get this equality. Uh, that, that you, that you're, you're mentioning. And so I think as you see time after time and deal after deal, quarter after quarter of that, uh, you'll, you'll get to it. And a lot of it will be driven by, there's some set of people that are doing it because it's the right thing to do. There's some set of people that are doing it because like the numbers kind of drive you in that direction. And I think that's okay. Right. If you look at like the work of like Martin Luther King, I mean, he spent a lot of time fighting, uh, for civil rights and voting rights, but a lot of his time later in his career was about, you know, economic empowerment and about, uh, more of kind of economic, uh, equality. And so I think both of those kind of drive us in the right direction. Uh, and these things yep. that we're mentioning are just examples of it, right? Kind of whether it be, you know, company A or company B, those are all steps in the right direction, ultimately right. of kind of getting into a world that's more fair and, and more equal. 
it it and then it's against the backdrop of seeing something like George Floyd, right? And then the NBA having to come out and say, you know what? I don't know if we're taking the court unless we can address this, right? So we 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 still have this pocket over here of like just disgusting, like horrific unfairness and violence towards black men, right? And it's still not solved, right? And that's the heartbreaking part when you try to like reconcile this. But but it's all part of the same system, education, opportunity, policing, you know, drug policing and cannabis, all this stuff is feels like it's part of the same system. That's at least I feel like it it's churning in the right direction. Right? Yep. Yep. And the thing that that happened this time and with the, with the murder of George Floyd is usually uh, the, the world had become desensitized to it. Right. Um, it happened, unfortunately, like almost, you know, monthly, if, if not weekly. And as, a, as a, a black man, you would see it. You would watch that video on your phone in the morning. And you see someone that looked just like you doing nothing but driving home from work. And you'd have to like dust it off and like go into the office and like act normal and like close the deal and write the code and get the customer. And so monthly you're going through this like, wait, there's someone that looks just like me being treated like an animal. But I have to like forget that for a moment and go perform. This time, the entire world was sitting at home because of COVID. Right. right. So the entire world was was holding still. And I think the timing of what uh, the George Floyd mur- murder was, was was so instrumental in the impact because everyone was sitting at home holding still and everyone had to watch and everyone had to digest it and think about it. Um, and it's, I think, caused a lot of the reaction, positive reaction and people realizing the disconnect uh, that we've experienced over the last year. Uh, but I think that that emotion is part of what we had been experiencing every month for the last several years as this happened. Yeah. Yeah. It, and let's be just completely real here. Black men and, and the black community was telling us this was happening all this time. And it was only until we, you know, as a, as a broader society had to witness nine minutes of a murder, like an extended torturous mm-hmm. murder that, you know, you you watch it and just even thinking about it makes you feel empty inside. It's just brutal to even think about that moment. And but you were saying it the whole time and people didn't believe it. Right. That's the part that's tragic. I think. Yep. Yep. So no. Yeah. 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 And I mean, it's, it's fueled a lot of good work. Right. It, 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 yeah. it fueled things like Opportunity Fund to exist. It, it fueled a lot of corporations coming rethink how, how they make hiring decisions and figuring out how they, they can give back. Um, you know, it's filled a lot of things that we're cheering on right now. Like we invested in a company called Praxis that does diversity training to help people with unconscious bias, right? Yep. It's caused people to like double down on, you know, like I started a, a cannabis, medical cannabis company two years ago because it's about, hey, there's inequality in this industry. If we can use our business skills to go solve that inequality and so it's, it's, it's fueled the passion of, I think, this current generation to just go harder. And so yeah. to, to your point, I think ultimately what will happen is, yeah, in this lifetime, we'll get closer uh, to equality. Along the way, we'll, we'll see a lot of uh, kind of good impact around education and kind of feeding the, the, the folks that, that are in need and, and, and so forth. 2021 is looking up. Tons of new beginnings, lots of hope. It's going to be a great year and hopefully great opportunities for you to grow your business. But if you're going to grow your business, you're going to need incredibly talented people to 
do as a founder what maybe you're not great at or you don't have time to do anymore. You need to build your team. You're only going to be as successful as the team that builds your products, interfaces with your customers and builds the culture of your company and LinkedIn jobs finds the right person quickly to fill your positions. And we are going to give you your first job posting free right now. You go to linkedin.com slash angel linkedin.com slash a n g e l angel very easy to remember hiring is super important i'm doing it here at launch just hired a second producer for this week in startups hiring a community manager we hired another support uh, executive for the syndicate we are booming over here and we do all of this by going to linkedin jobs 722 million members worldwide mean business they keep their profiles up to date on linkedin for a reason they're looking for opportunities and you can post your job with all those great screening questions. And LinkedIn is going to get your role, that position in front of the right people with the soft skills, the hard skills, and all the things you need. The thing I've been blown away with is the quality of the candidates. Very simple. LinkedIn.com slash angel, LinkedIn.com slash angel and terms and conditions apply because they're giving you that free first job posting. Thank you, LinkedIn for supporting the show. It's also very interesting. I'll, you know, I can tell you from my side, you know, just watching other white venture capitalists. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm a seed investor, so I get there earlier. And we made a real effort, <clears throat> as you know, because you speak at all our events, you know, doing founder university specifically for underrepresented people doing it specifically for uh, women. And we just changed the ratio of people we were funding. It happened like, I think we did it in two years, like just Jackie on my team, doing these underrepresented founder founder university is a two day event. And these downstream investors from us were like, where are you finding all the black women to invest in? Like, literally, somebody said that to me, like, can you introduce me to some black women? Because I have never invested in a black woman. I've done 47 investments. And this is what person said to me, I I'm, I'm just terrified that somebody's going to see my statistics at some point, and realize I've only invested in two women, and they were both white women, you know, and I've never invested in a black founder. I mean, it was like a CTO on one team. And there was just abject fear the last two or three years from some people who just didn't have any diversity. And I said, well, have you actually talked about it or engaged people of color? Have you actually met them where they are? And they were like, no, how do you do that? And I was like, you talk to people? And they're just like, oh, is that how you do it? I'm like, is this not completely obvious to you? Like, why are you not just, anytime a black founder, if you have not invested in a black founder yet, anytime a black founder, emails you just meet with them it costs you nothing and and then just be as helpful as you can be and the, and the ratio will change but if you're not putting any effort into it you think it's just magically going to change that you're going to have some 19 year old black founders come to you and drop out of harvard with their idea for a SaaS company and they're just going to call you like some white guy on santo road it's just not going to happen it's that's not realistic do a little bit of work right yes yeah, no work. and 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 now people are publishing so many lists. Like uh, Michael Siebel and Y Combinator published their directory yep. of black founders. And I mean, you, you know, on the Opportunity Fund site, we have the 20 companies we've invested in. If, I mean, if anybody wants to meet more black founders, I introduce you to the ones that we've, we've invested in ac across different funds. But what I love about it, Jason, if you look at the portfolios, they're not solving like black problems or just, just black problems or just Latino problems. Like they're solving just really some of the most meaningful problems that, that exist. And if I didn't show you the founder, you would ne never know, right? Companies, a company called Carbice, this uh, professor out of Georgia Tech that came up with a, a nano compound to make heat sinks more efficient. 
And like now he's, it's his compound is on space shuttles and he just raised $15 million, right? Or, or someone like, um, like, uh, Vitable that's doing, you know, kind of video healthcare, uh, to kind of make more affordable healthcare or like, there's all these problems that are just fundamental human problems that exist. And, uh, yeah. you know, while th- there are some companies that are solving problems that are more specific to minority communities, right? So like Maven is solving the problem around, you know, hair extensions or, uh, right. the guys at Squire are solving the problem around barber shops. But there's so many that are just solving like problems that are human problems and markets that are gigantic. And so sometimes people are looking for black founders, uh, because they're, they're only looking in one place, right? right. But, it's it's really great, I think. This is where I think the dedicated funds are doing such great work because when you look at Andreessen Horowitz or SoftBank or what Jackie's doing at our firm with Founder University, when you say, hey, we're dedicated to this, we're, we're, we're dedicating time, cycles, money, meeting time, whatever it is, then it just, it, it's kind of like putting the shingle out, like, yeah, we're open for business. Come Come talk to us. If you don't, and this is just my advice to my contemporaries, if you're not explicitly saying we want to meet folks, and you're not doing the work, it's just the change not going to happen. It's or it's not going to happen at the pace we need it to happen. Like we talked about earlier, this is a a 13x problem, not a 13% problem. We need to really, really get moving on this. And and just shout out to A16Z with their opportunity fund, SoftBank, because you list the company. So if you're looking to make a bet, you can just go to that page, meet with 10 founders, you're going to find a company that's already got product market fit that you could put a million into. Just get to work, you know, cut the check. It's not hard. Exactly, exactly. So no, I mean, like you said, yeah, Ben and, and, and the team and, you know, Chris Lyons at, with uh, Cultural Leadership and Nate Jones at Talent Times Opportunity. I mean, they're, they're doing the work and been doing it for years. Uh, and then, you know, you look at what like these celebrities and influencers, like we talked about Jay-Z a lot, but like everybody's doing it now. So like quality control, like the label Coach K and the team that um, run uh, like Lil Baby's career and other artists like that, you start to see them investing in companies like Xset and they just did a partnership with Techstars, right? So you're seeing nice. music labels really become active. And then you look at Atlanta, like, I mean, people from Ludacris to 2 Chains to TI are all invested in tech companies. And so... I mean, this next few years, I mean, just going to be so impactful. Uh, it feels like the, as somebody explained it to me on the pod, really, and, and Nas has Queensbridge, Carmelo oh, Anthony had his uh, fund. I don't know if he's still actively doing it, but I saw he had done a fund. Just it, uh, And then LeBron, in my portfolio, invested in and became a spokesperson for com.com. And I oh, can yeah. tell you... I had more people come to me in that month to talk about calm than in the entire six years of being an investor in that company. It's like LeBron James uses calm. I was like, yeah, he's an, he's an investor too. Like he's going to make a lot of money off of calm. Like it's definitely happening. I know from the warriors just being in town, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with Draymond. Um, and he, you know, he's always like, Hey, what deals, what deals? I mean, he's just really engaged. Durant was very engaged. I mean, they're just looking for deals. And that's just a great moment uh, for me as well, just to be like, wow, Draymond Green and I are like talking about deals at the poker table and trying to figure out what we can invest in together. This is like just great for society writ large. You mentioned calm. And I, I mean, I had to point to what, what do you call it? I got my, my beat wet a little bit oh, from, your, you from your syndicate, from your syndicate. Oh, you're in the syndicate? Calm. Yeah, a little bit. Oh, just a little. Fuck yeah. little wet beat. Yeah. So let's talk about when you're. 
young entrepreneurs or first-time founders, what in your mind do could all first-time founders do a better job at? We got a lot of founders listening to these episodes and they want to connect with folks like us. What can they do less of and what can they lean into more of to close the check and to just close the deal and get the money? When you think about it, what makes it really easy for you to, to fund a company? What makes it really hard to fund a company? For me, it's this, this order of you know, team and, and, and customers. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, what effort have you put in to get people around you to join you? Like, what's your Olympic team? Mm. Right. Not the, I think of it as like not the little league team. Like you went and got your friends from down the block, but yeah. like the Olympic team, like you went, and, <laughs> you went and found like some of the best people in the world and you're early. I get it. So like a lot of people are going to tell you no, but have you convinced a few real game changers to join you on this journey? And so team, uh, and then for me, uh, you know, so customers. So too often, uh, first time founders, I think want to jump to talking to investors first and they skip mm. the recruiting the team part and they skip the, Kind of no, really have a real relationship with a prospective customer and get their feedback and understand. And they're pitching the idea more so than they're pitching like the team and kind of the customer reaction to the idea. They want to go straight to give me money when mm. there's a little bit of legwork that you need to do first. And so I think that order of team, customer, investors, too many people want to jump the first two and have investor meetings, I think a bit too early. See, this is so important. When you go in to meet with an investor, and you're talking about what you're going to do, as opposed to talking about who you recruited, and who's using the product, y- your credibility is very low. But when you come in and say, I found I got the former, you know, developer from Facebook to leave, and he's investing or she's investing 25k. And, um, you know, they've been to the they've been to the show before they know what they're doing. Oh, and by the way, let me tell you about our first four customers, two of them are using the product to get in some value. But these two, these two customers asked us for these 17 features. And let me show you what our progress is with those features. Now, for us as investors, we don't have to imagine that you right. can recruit, we don't have to imagine and believe you when you tell us that you understand the customer, you do understand the customer. And I am constantly ripping up decks and saying, nobody gives a shit about the total addressable market slide that you found from Gartner Group, Arthur Anderson, PricewaterhouseCoopers, all due respect, it doesn't mean anything to anybody. Nobody gives a shit about that. Tell us about those two customers who can't live without your product. Give me a slide on each one. Give me three slides on each one where here's how they're using the product. Here's how you got into the organization. You met them at a, I had somebody like, I was like, how did you meet these customers? You've got like these, like five or six customers. And they're like, I went to a trade show. I was like, what? And they were selling some sort of product that was for the legal market. Yeah, there's like, there's like, a, there's like 10 legal trade shows. And I, huh. I went to like three of them and I met these people. And then we went out, for, uh, there was like a cocktail party afterwards. And then I met them again at the cocktail party. And then I met them in their office in New York. And then they said they would give the product. I'm like, oh my Lord, I love you. <laughs> like, right? You went to a trade show. And you showed your product to the people who are the target audience and you understand them and you talk to them. That's the kind of stuff that gets guys like us to write checks. Exactly. Exactly. It's not a kind of, oh, I made this great slide. I think of, and if I get your money, then here's what I will do. It's kind of, yeah. you know, show me you're doing something and you just need more fuel for the fire uh, to, to mm. keep going. So many people get that part wrong where they would just be better off. Go work on it for a month or two months. It doesn't mean work on it for three years. Like, 
go do a yeah. little bit of legwork. Uh, and then from there, I think the other thing that, you know, because I'm sometimes an entrepreneur, sometimes an investor, right? Every few years, yes. I'm helping start a company. And so the, the one thing that I've been able to see from both sides is kind of the decision or process of an investor looking at a return model. Right. Mm-hmm. Looking at kind of what multiple, what IRR, am I going to get this money back with friends? Mm-hmm. And so I often help entrepreneurs understand, especially as you go into later stages, series A, series Bs, uh, explain to an investor how you're going to send this money back with friends. Right. Mm-hmm. So in the back of their process, they're doing this return model. They're modeling your best case and your base case and your average and a weighted probability and they're managing the IRR. And so if you think about that, as you think about the outcomes and your three year projection, uh, you can help put yourself in the shoes of this person and help them understand here's how this turns to a three time return or five time return. That doesn't mean you have to turn yep. into a VC as an entrepreneur, but it's helpful to understand the framework that's actually driving decisions. Super critical because if you're coming to them with a business that in the best case doesn't return their fund and doesn't bring back that money, you know, and every dollar doesn't come back with nine other dollars, why would they waste one of the slots in that spreadsheet on you? They got 30 slots, 40 slots, whatever it is in that model. Every one of those is a chance to hit an outlier. They don't want to waste any shot. And every one of those bullets is precious. They got to hit like this crazy half court shot. Like they got to hit a, a, a shot from like one of those, speaking of Steph Curry, they got to hit one of those Steph Curry in the tunnel shots. Like that's, that's what we have to hit. <laughs> you hit calendarly, right? Right. Right. Like calendarly is like hitting it from like the upper deck. What, <laughs> what, what was that investment about? How did you hit that one? Tell me the story. Which one? Calendly? So, yeah. So, you know, so that was on my, my anti-portfolio, Jason. I, I, I know Tope. He's a, he's, a, he's a good friend, a great guy. I have the text message from five years ago when it said, hey, I'm raising. And Calendly. Is it, wait, wait. It's pronounced Calendly, not Calendarly. Yep. Calendly. Yep. Sorry, Calend- my bad. My- yeah, Calendly. Uh, based in Atlanta, minority founder. Uh, you know, the, the reports say they just raised oh. that $3 billion valuation. I have the text message in my phone five years ago and I looked at the product and I said, ah, it's kind of a calendar add on. Not sure. And here's what I didn't do to your point of how we used to be too selective for meetings. I didn't even take the meeting. Oh, right. Uh, I didn't even Ooh, take the meeting. That's painful. Right. I have the text message. <laughs> but I didn't actually go take the meeting. And so, you know, now I, I cheer them on and we're, we're friends and so forth. They built an amazing company, the, the viral loop of that thing uh, and the number of like meetings. You that missed they're it. Scheduled. Yeah, I missed it. In your backyard. The biggest one in your own backyard you missed. See, this is the blind spot. Even you could have a blind spot. Yeah, minority founder. Sit down the street from me. Right. And but you those, know them. And I know them. But those are the things that keep you going, like keep you aiming to get better. Uh, in right. this, in this funny world of being an investor, right? Uh, and you, it also, it makes you kind of think about more and more, like what could go right versus what could go wrong when you're looking at a potential investor. Explain that what that means, because this is the hard lesson. I've been investing, this is my 11th year of investing. How long have you been in actually writing checks? Maybe four or five years now. Yep. Yeah. So more so- recent. Yeah, this is like something you realize maybe I think in that five, six, seven years when something you dismissed mm-hmm. as just being a feature or not big enough, too niche, and you came up in your mind 
because our human minds are so not risk-taking, right? We're so cautious as humans. We're so scared that we go, you know what? It's a feature. Ugh, there's got to be something bigger. But you said it. What could go right versus what could go wrong? You made the decision of like, well, so many things can go wrong here. Like, can't Google Calendar or right. Microsoft just add this? And here we are. It's 10 years later, whatever it is. And this, I, I've never seen I, all my team. I'm, I'm paying for this product. 20 different times on 20 different corporate cards. <laughs> Everything went right. Yep. Or maybe one thing went right. I don't know what it is. But no, that's a, a, exactly what, what it is. Like you re realize it's, it's kind of like been an armchair quarterback. It's, it's easy to sit there and critique the place. Um, and some people think like that's what makes them a great uh, investor. It's like, oh, if I point out all the things that go wrong, like look how smart I am. I can point out the problems. And it's like, no, the, the, the better ones are actually forecasting what happens when things go right and then helping the entrepreneur like make those things come to pass uh and so now that's a great example of i mean it's a product that, that people love uh the viral loop is there as the efficient sales cycle uh and so you spend the rest of your months and days and years you know making up for that right and looking for the next one and looking for the next one but now in this world with 30 minute meetings you do 12 meetings a day instead of four. <laughs> and so you don't miss the meeting the next time. Yeah. <laughs> right? Everybody can improve their game. <laughs> uh, well, let's, since I gave you the PTSD now, when I started <laughs> with, it's so funny because I have my notes here and I glanced over at my notes and I was like, oh shit, he hit that. And then I realized <laughs> it was one you didn't hit. <laughs> give me, give me some of the big hits. Give me some, take me through the greatest hits. The right now you're just like, wow, I can't believe this has gone so well. Yeah. So, I mean, a few, you know, my, my background, uh, has been in cybersecurity. And so, like, you know, one, I mean, I co-founded, but also wrote a check was pin drop, right? So we're 10 years in, um, you know, started around a napkin. Uh, the, the first round was a million dollar round. Now there's, you know, 200 million invested into the wow. company and, and, and growing. Um, and, you know, probably seven or eight of the top 10 banks are, are customers and that's, that's going well. Uh, and then other cybersecurity companies, uh, like I was an investor in a company called Cadium that turned into Expanse and then was acquired by Palo Alto for, I believe it was what, 600, 800 million, uh, recently. And then, uh, company. And those security companies are like slow and steady, man. Those are just like these nice little 500 million, billion dollar. Yep. Just straight. They, they don't like pop into like the hundred billion dollar things that often, but man, do they become worth. 500 million to 5 billion over and over again. Time and time again, right? And problems that you think are solved already. But yeah. the hackers, it's the kind of this industry that kind of keeps giving back a bit. The gift and curse is you solve it and then the hackers figure out a different approach. And so the industry needs a different solution. And so it's one of the few mm -hmm. industries where there's an adversary that every few years will create a need for the next generation of your product. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, invest in a company called Emailage that, you know, stops fraud. Uh, for commerce, they were acquired recently by Lexus Nexus, and uh, but then you know there's um you know others that are still going. So like uh, I was investing in like Ring, so some consumer facing. You were things in Ring. Outside of it. Oh, yeah. that's my anti portfolio. Oh, that's was, so brutal. I was lucky there. I met Jamie, and uh, and so he, smart. He was kind enough to to let me invest, and then um, but more recently, you know, companies like Greenlight, uh, fintech for kids that um you know met them there in Atlanta. What do they do? I never heard of them. Oh, so Greenlight's a unicorn based in Atlanta, and they make a debit card for kids. And so if you want to give your kid and pay your kids uh, for their chores, but like on a debit card, and they get more allowance depending on if they did their chores or not. And so, oh, wow. 
Yep. There's, there's millions of families that use this debit card for kids. So think of it as like a, what's a neobank, you know, like Chime or Moneyline or Vero. Uh, so yep. it's like a neobank for kids. And I so now that. they've raised, I don't know, maybe a hundred million dollars. The most recent value was They're reported. worth 1.2 bill. Yeah. Yep. Uh, do they let the kids trade uh, Bitcoin as well? <laughs> they, they just, almost. They just announced uh, investing accounts for kids. They did? So, yeah. Oh, that so was a joke. Oh, my God. So, so they combined the Robinhood feature set? Yeah. So a little bit of equities. You want to teach your kid how to invest. Uh, so there's equities. So that- Hopefully not options or shorting stocks. Right. <laughs> Let's leave that for when you, you get to college. <laughs> at least. At least. At so least, exactly. I don't a, even- I don't even play with like options or calls and like my nephew and like a bunch of like young people I know, they know more about put options and call options and they're like taking my advice and then making all this money. And I'm like, explain to me one more time how that put call works. How does it work? You're, what <laughs> right. are you doing exactly? You're buying options on what? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> right. oh and my like, God. Oh, you're doing like a, a straddle strategy of, of what? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, all I know how to do is put money in and hope for the best. <laughs> That's kind of my strategy. <laughs> Just totally. keep placing bets. But I, I love. I don't know how to bet in, these things like in that. fintech right now because you're getting all these these companies that are becoming like affinity fintechs, right? So like Greenlight is like mm. a fintech for for kids, um, right. and then I'm an investor and help start this company called Greenwood. That's a, a neo bank for minorities, and huh. you talk about how culture impacts technology. We partnered with Killer Mike, right, the, the oh, rapper yeah. and activist, and yep. then partnered with uh, Ambassador Andrew Young, right? So mm. great civil rights hero. And people like Jesse Williams and launched Greenwood, which is like this neo bank for black and Latinos. And like the whole point is, you know, the banks are really unkind and unfair to minorities. They're, oh, they're declined for loans at a higher rate. They don't can't get the same access to savings. Well, I mean, and then think about the fees they charge them. Like when, when you get to where we are, people are like, oh yeah, no, no, that's all free. And I'm sending you tickets to the Knicks and uh, you're all good. And here's a margin loan. And when I first heard what a margin loan was, I was like, wait, what? They're like, yeah, well, you can just take out whatever amount of money you need and we'll just charge you 1%. Don't worry about it. It's a courtesy. And I'm like, where was that when I fucking needed it? <laughs> right. <laughs> They're like, yeah, you know, you, you can't have that until you're rich. I'm like, but I don't need it now. I have money. And they're like, yeah, that's why you can use it. I'm like, so you can makes have no more money for free. <laughs> for free. <laughs> I it's free that. money. I was like, wait, the, <laughs> you the remember game, that moment when they explained to you a margin it. loan? <laughs> yeah. It's like, so wait, I have this account with money in it that's not my money, but I can use yeah. it. Yeah. Just use it. For 1% or something, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, whatever, plus whatever, LIBOR, you're good. And so here's what's crazy, Jason. So meanwhile, I have a bunch of friends that are like, that are minorities that like, they have a lot of money, really profitable businesses, and they can't go to the bank and get a loan for their business. But it's like, but it's, it's doing seven, eight digits a year, it's dropping a lot to EBITDA, it's fast growing, and the traditional bank, they walk in, they get declined. And it's like, wait, where's the disconnect? And so... I think that's a problem like with Greenwood we're working to solve, but it's another example like Greenlight of an affinity bank, an affinity fintech. Uh, they both happen to be based in Atlanta, uh, but yeah. I mean, you could literally flip it. You could be like, you know what? You, you don't have a lot of money in your account. Checking's free. You're not going to charge you for the ATM. When you get a little bit of cash, then we'll start charging you. That's kind of how the world should work, right? It's like, there's not that much money down here anyway, just, and we're, we're in Wealthfront and Wealthfront's like, yeah, oh, you yeah. know, the first 10,000, you can invest whatever it is. I think it's five or 10,000. We won't take any fees. We'll, we'll, we'll take our little, you know, uh, chip when you get past 10,000, you know, in, in holdings or whatever. 
that's kind of how the world should work. I kind of feel that's how like taxes should work. I feel like if you're coming up, things should be free. And then when you kind of start to hit your stride, then you start paying into your taxes or whatever it happens to be. And it's the exact opposite in the world. I got famous and people are like, can I send you a free phone or a computer for free? And I'm like, what? I, what are you talking? I don't need a free computer. Please don't send me anything for free. I don't want free shit from you. Like, no, that was like my, I went to Sundance. I could, my brain got melted. You ever go to Sundance? You, know, like, you see been. these like sweets? They okay. have these things like called gifting sweets. Okay. And you know about gifting sweets yeah, in yeah, Hollywood? Yeah, 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 for sure. And Or like other parties and you walk in and they're like, oh, would you like, we can ship you this espresso oh, machine. Yeah. We'll send you yep. this. Or would you like these skis? And I'm like, What's the catch? They're like, we'll just take a picture and you know yeah, we'll, we'll put it. it in the back of the Sundance magazine. And I'm like, okay, what's the catch? <laughs> oh, that's so how like, it is. Like my, my my fiance every day, she just gets stuff to the house. It's like, why do you send you? Oh, you're on this TV show and you have a bunch of followers, and so I she can gets say a- what your fi- your fiance is on one of the uh, Real Housewives show, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, I'm assuming Real Housewives of Atlanta. I don't watch it, but I okay. follow her now because I follow you. Okay. So I follow your wife to see just for the one out of 20 pictures that include you. I understand. And I'm like, what's, what's that about now? Does that mean you get, are you on that show? Do you get pulled into this reality television orbit now? No, nah, not, not really. It's interesting, Jason. Mm. Like, I'll tell you why we did it. So I used to come to the Bay every month or so and people would say, oh, you live in Atlanta. And they would say, hey, do you know um, 2 Chains?" And then they'll say, hey, yeah. do you know like... The housewives. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, that's not Atlanta. Like, Atlanta is like, we have these Fortune 500s and we have Georgia Tech and we have, you know, like Coca Cola. Coca Cola. (laughs) There's all this stuff. And I realized it was the number one representation on the, of the city, right? It's the number one viewed show on all Uh of Bravo. And we said, look, Mm. what if we put like someone on there that like really represents our community that does cost, you know, community service and philanthropy and like builds businesses and entrepreneurship? Like, could we, show, you know, millions of black females technology. Should we, could we show them entrepreneurship? Could we show them investing? And yeah, so we, sweet. We, we, we did it for that. That's now a good she, decision. Right. And so it's, it comes with reality TV comes with like some hairy stuff too. So we don't do Drama. that anymore. Yeah, for sure. Right. They have to make up like weird stuff for storylines. But now, uh, she's launching a new show, uh, called Making of a Mogul. And what she's mm. doing now is going around and interviewing like entrepreneurs, and like, tell me your story oh. of how you built your business. Uh, and so, yeah, so she's transitioned to, to that. But that was really the whole thing about TV is like, how can we educate more minorities and more women about business and about entrepreneurship? Uh, that's like, that's a big win. You know, I was, I had a reality TV show pilot I did with NBC. Luckily, it didn't get on air <laughs> because some of the people who were involved in the show were, uh, later had <laughs> personal problems. I'll leave it at that. Um, mm. but I, I was like, you know what? I'm open to doing a reality show if it does promote entrepreneurship and inspires people to do it. I think Shark Tank's done a good job of that. Sounds sure. like your fiance is going to do a great job of that, but that's got to be weird for you to be walking next to her down the street and like paparazzi, like just going crazy. Yeah. I have to regularly take pictures of her with people when we're at the store or something. <laughs> right. oh, okay. Oh, so now you've become an Insta husband. <laughs> yeah. So I'm totally like, the <laughs> little, like oh, oh, can you take a picture oh, of me with take you? A picture? Okay, fine. Oh God. But, but yeah, to, to your <laughs> <laughs> You're an Insta but. husband. <laughs> And it's the fiance. <laughs> Fiancés of Instagram. 
Uh, they, see, my wife's not on the social, but she's threatening to go social now. So she okay. turned on her accounts and I'm like, oh boy, here we go. I'm going to be taking pictures of all kinds of stuff. And she got a clubhouse account now. And I think it's going to start. Oh man, I, 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 I send you a clubhouse exposing these rooms. Oh, I'm loving it. That's like my <laughs> new pastime. Because, you know, I hated that when we were, when you and I were coming up in the industry, like the demo conference, you'd be like, oh my God, your product is so good. Give me $20,000. You're going to have five minutes on stage. And I was like, well, that's bullshit. And I started the TechCrunch 40 conference with Mike. And then eventually we split up and I did a launch festival. And we made it free to be on stage. Yep. And we made it free to have a table, you know, in the exhibition area for startups. And we would just charge the big companies, you know, IBM or Verizon. We'd be more than happy to pay to sponsor the event. And it was great that the up and comers didn't have to pay. And now you got all these weird coaches trying to sell, you know, seven figure, eight figure, nine figure, 10x your business. And you want to talk about like how horrible these people are. They're specifically going after black women, Hispanic mm. women. You know why? Because there are a lot of them are just first coming into entrepreneurship. Right. So they look at them like targets. They're like, okay, oh, here's a black woman who's, you know, been raising her kids. Now she's got five hours a day. Her kids are in school or whatever, uh, and she wants to start a business. Great. Let's charge her $5,000 to teach her how to do this 5X oh, system. That's no good. It's gross. And, and it's these like white guys who, you know, live in San Diego or whatever, and then they pretend they have some system where they're going to teach you how to do what you and I do for a living. Right. But you and I are not taking meetings with people who are curious about entrepreneurship. We're taking, like we said before, like, hey, show us your customers or whatever. So there's this big gap in the market, which is I'm interested in startups, and, but I don't know anything. Hmm. But I got a lot of energy, and I might even have a little bit of capital to invest in, or I got some time to invest in. And they come in, and I tell you, these guys are such scumbags. They will say, I'll put you on a payment plan for the course. And they make them sign a contract. Wow. And the person pays 10 times $1,000, $10,000 to take a course. They don't get anything out of it. And you know what they're teaching them in the course? Here's what SEO is. Here's what a click funnel is. You know, here's how to build a landing page. And all they're doing is repeating the stuff that, you know, people in our industry build web pages for. And they build this like very light course that you could get for free on Intercom's website or, you know, HubSpot has all the information for free in videos on their website because they want you to buy their product for $99 a month. So literally, these people could go to HubSpot, but they don't know what that is. And right. so these people come in and just intercept them, charge them $10,000, make them sign non-disclosures, and sometimes they even get them to take loans out. So they're like, here's no. a payday loan company. Go there, get a loan to take my course. Wow. And they fall for it because they don't know any better. I mean, how would you know any better? My mom might fall for it. You know, she's, she's a nurse. She doesn't know how business and, and startups work. And so I'm specifically calling these people out on Clubhouse and I'm stopping them. I'm just absolutely just letting people know what the funnels are. And then I'm taking my founder university course, and I'm just going to make it into like, so you want to start a startup, here's like step one, step two, step three, and I'm going to make it just to totally fuck with these guys. I'm going to charge $1. Hmm. And I'm literally hiring a full time teacher. And I'm going to charge $1. And maybe have 10,000 people do it a year, just $1, just to make a point. Yep. <laughs> I'll teach them everything for $1. And then I'll that. figure out, I'll get some sponsor to pay for the other stuff. You know, I'll that. get HubSpot to underwrite it so that when, the, if, you know, 10% of them make it to the end of the course, right. they might become HubSpot customers, or I'll get Zendesk or one of my people to, you know, support it. But I, am, I tell you right now, I am, I am livid. 
I love I'm that, going man. to come over the top and I am stopping this. It's not happening on my watch. I love that. Like just taking advantage of people who want to change their station in life. I mean, it's just brutal. It's, 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 it makes it just makes me so angry. No, I love it. It's because there's there's so much of it, right? Like these these vultures and they're well, they're they're slinging real estate courses or trading courses or forex or found like there's mm -hmm. whatever they've picked some specialty and they, yeah to your point they'll put something in their bio that looks real oh. like in their instagram bio and they'll seven they'll figure a, 10x entrepreneur eight figure <laughs> right? they'll go rent some Here's cars how you bust them you say tell us the name of your eight figure business because you know it's not listed right it's not the, the business isn't listed you know you could put like all you you could literally list all the businesses with the URLs yeah. with your bio page on the website. Yeah. Like you can do that. Yep. I could list it. Like yep. you know, you could go to Crunchbase and see my investments. Like it's not right. too hard, people. But these people are like 16, 7, 8, 9 figure businesses. Just ask them. Tell me the number one business. What's the URL so I can look it up? What's the address of that business? <laughs> there is no address. There is no business. It's all bullshit. <laughs> yep. No, they just they have a couple of rented cars and they 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 chartered a, a jet once or twice <laughs> with all their friends and took and, and took <laughs> took selfies and they rotate it's those hilarious. pictures. It's kind of the bow wow challenge. No, they, they literally will rent cars, put them in their driveway, and take pictures of it. Yep. And then they put it on their Instagram and then it's it's really like pernicious techniques they're using, which is if you're affiliated and you're associated with a, a fast car, you might have owned a couple of these. I'm not calling out your lifestyle, Paul, but I know that you have some nice vehicles. But you know, like you're not renting them. Like you own nice vehicles. I own a couple of nice vehicles. Right, right. Then they this is where it really gets sick. This one guy was paying like Sylvester Stallone and like Pacino, and they don't know what they're getting into, but their speaking bureau is like, hey, go to this conference. He wants to talk to you about your career. Here's 50K. So then they do that. Then they have a picture and a video on YouTube of them interviewing Al Pacino. Oh, and you're like, oh, they're friends with Al Pacino? And they drive a Ferrari. Therefore, and they wear a tie. Okay, this person's legit. But you don't realize they rented the Ferrari for $1,000 for six hours, and right. they paid pacino 50 grand to be on their conference and they charged all this money for the tickets so they just made the audience pay for pacino and they got all the association now you pay 10k for the course and we're charging your credit card until your credit card gets turned off and now you're in debt and you're like some single mom you know out of atlanta or, or la or something and you got into their click funnel and they convinced you to do it and then the techniques they use is one person was telling me they they tried to make her feel bad about herself like Oh, you can afford those shoes in that purse, but you can't afford to invest in yourself. I guess you're not serious about business. And they kept like grinding her and like insulting her. And she was like, okay, I guess I got to like really take myself more seriously. And she was like really embarrassed about how she fell for it. And I was like, don't be embarrassed. Like, you know, people pay for college. Like people have coaches. Like in our industry, there are, co Jerry Colonna has been on my pod multiple yep. times. Good friend of mine is a great coach. Like coaching exists. Right. But that's not who these people are. Right. I'm taking them all down. Now let's do it. They, 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 they need to be moved out of the way because there's so many promising probably entrepreneurs that could really be successful that are taking a wrong left turn and will be distracted into that. That could have been the next, you know, X, X, Y, Z company. And so, uh, no, that's I, it. I you're teaching, you you're teaching. I'm going to hit you up again. I'm getting more of your time, Paul. That's, <laughs> I mean, it. I just have to say that while we wrap up here, I appreciate the hour. I just, you know, we're friends, but 
If I never said it, thank you for showing up for me all the fucking time. Every, you never say no to me. Every time I ask you to show up and speak at a conference, you're like, I'm, I'm there, I'm there, I'm there. And if you can't be there, you're like, I'll be there the next one. I really appreciate it, you know, on behalf of the entrepreneurs and everything. It means a lot. No, my pleasure, man. You're, you're, you're out there, you know, leading the way and, and carving a path. So anything I can do to, to support, you know, you've, it's, it's a good friendship and, uh, kind of, yeah. uh, inspiring. And so, uh, you know, I like to say, you know, it's kind of iron sharpens iron and we kind of inspire each other. So anything I can do to, to be helpful. Yeah. And now that I see you're on this mission of taking down these, these, uh, fraudulent coaches. clubhouse rooms and coaches, <laughs> uh, I got your back. Let me know what I can well, do. We'll, to help. we'll run a room like legit guys giving free advice. No, no <laughs> coaching, <laughs> free coaching for life. All right, man. Uh, continued success. And I'm, I'm coming out to Miami soon, uh, right after I get my vaccine and I'll see you there. All right, and, I'll uh, see you soon. I got a good Cuban place. I forgot the name of the place, but one of my CEOs down there took me to this crazy Cuban place with croquetas and like that, you know, those Cuban sandwiches. I don't know oh, if yeah. you're getting those, but. Oh, yeah. I haven't, oh, I haven't yet. I was looking for one the other day, actually. I was, <laughs> uh, I was walking down the street and following Google Maps and trying to get to this place and I never found it. So I haven't had good Cuban yet here. Yeah, old Havana Cuban bar in Cochina. I'll, I'll email you this. There's like this really okay. old place and it's got a deck on the back. And man, they have these sick croquetas. Yeah, that's the name of it. Oh, I'm looking at the pictures right now. Old Havana Cuban bar and Cochina. Just hit this place up. The backyard is dope. Um, and the croquettes, you know, those little fried yeah. mashed potatoes. Oh, mm -hmm. man. If I, if I move down there, I'm going to have to work out a lot because I'm going to be hitting so many croquettes and all these... And so that, you, that Cuban sandwich is crazy. So you're thinking I love about it? Down it? There. I'm thinking about it. No, I'm going to, you know, if I, I could see myself living in Miami or in Austin. I mean, I love both those cities. And I, I lived 30 years in New York, 20 Brooklyn, 10 Manhattan. Then I did 10 in LA. I've done five or six uh, here in the Bay. I could see myself doing 10 in either of those places. I could, I could, I could do 10. Yep. I could do my time in Miami. It could be worse. <laughs> it could be worse. <laughs> it, it, it could be, man. I, I was I was coming for a couple of days, and I came here for a week, and so I, I just uh, I just leased a condo here, and so I was like, all right, let oh, me it's try. Delightful. It. And yeah, yeah it's, delightful. It's, it's 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 good. It's um, I can well, do if you can lower your costs, as the, these startups were getting demolished here at the costs. Right, the cost of living is too much, and I would just like starting like four years, three or four years ago, I was like, come here to get the money. And then go somewhere else and then just, you know, keep a WeWork office. Or if you have one of those WeWork cards where you can float in and out, you know, just come here once a month, every other month, do your meetings, you know, meet with your partnerships and then deploy the capital in Salt Lake, Toronto yep. or Austin or Miami, yep. but Atlanta, Atlanta, anywhere that yeah. it's not $4,000 for a one bedroom. Right. Places. When, you haven't been here since the pandemic, right? No, I haven't been at San Francisco Bay Area open in a year now. It's over. I mean, done. It is over. Like the the apartments went from four thousand to twenty five hundred. The the city is a ghost town, and I, I kid you not, seven out of ten restaurants shut down. It's the place is cleared out, and the the tax and the rest of the peninsula is booming. So everybody huh. left San Francisco okay. and came south, east, okay. or north. So they're they're all going up to you know. Marin, where they're going yep. to the East Bay, Oakland, Berkeley. So those places have all gone up okay. and even further east, you know, like Tahoe, and they're going south to Gilroy and Santa Cruz. But now that you can work at home, people are like, why, why do I want to be in this city that's overpriced? 
Hmm. I can work from home. Why am I paying $4,000 for an apartment when I could pay $2,000 for a mortgage on a house with a, on right. an acre? It doesn't make sense, right? So it, I, I think San Francisco is like a five-year slide straight down. It's going to be crazy. I, I, I don't think it can recover in the short term. Uh, because of the taxes and you know any and then now they're losing some of these super routers so like keith raboy leaves or right. you know elon leaves whatever like when those kind of when that level of person leaves young people are like well if keith can go to miami yep. i can go to miami you know it makes just total sense to them what are you going to do about your mayor run now I know. I got well. You know, they. I. I. I guess Miami's going to need a new mayor at some point, or Austin will. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there we go. I, I feel like I got. You know, I turned fifty, and I gave it a lot of thought. I feel like I want to do ten more years of investing. Okay. I feel like if I if I can keep up this pace, a hundred to two hundred investments a year. I got fourteen people in the investment company now. If I can keep up this pace and put another twelve hundred investments on top of the three hundred I got now, and do fifteen hundred investments in twenty years. Mm, that's, I don't know who can hit that track record. It's, it's, I kind of feel like I'll be Steph Curry with the threes, like, you know, full circle. Mm. Like, who can catch me now? Like, I don't think you mm. can catch me now. Who's going to catch mm. me? Like, Paul Graham retired. Like, Ron Conway retired. Chris Saka's doing, you know, carbon. Yep. I think I got yep. a straight shot. Like, I'll be, I'll be Mount Rushmore. You know, that's what yep. I'm going for. I'm playing Absolutely, for legacy. Not, now. It, no, it, take a, it would take an institution, right? I mean, it, it'd take like a, not a person, but an institution to compare. It would take Y Combinator, rate. tech stars yeah. type level. Like they're they're churning out those institutions four hundred investments a year. Yep. You know, my little fourteen person team doing a hundred, and I think we'll hit two hundred. You know, eventually, like mm, uh, I think we're going to be in a good position. So I'm just grinding. All right, man. <laughs> good to see you, Paul. Stay safe. We'll see you soon. Hey, you too, bud. I'll talk to you soon. Cheers. <laughs>